Voice of St. Louis original podcast. This is the St. Louis All Local Podcast. Here are today's stories from the KMOX Newsroom. I'm Tom Ackerman. I'm Megan Lynch. And I'm Debbie Monterey. Last week's resignation of another prosecutor from the St. Louis Circuit Attorney's Office leaves just three assistant circuit attorneys to handle the backlog of felony cases. Reaction from Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey. Well, I think it's a dangerous situation for the entire region and specifically for the people of the city of St. Louis. You know, she has failed, unlawfully refused to do her job. And the statute uh, requires that she bears responsibility for the performance of her office, not anybody else. This afternoon, a judge will hear arguments in a pretrial hearing in Bailey's case seeking to remove Gardner from office. Bailey wants the judge to set a trial date as soon as possible, and Gardner is asking the judge to dismiss the case. And a day before facing one judge, the circuit attorney faces the wrath of another. Circuit attorney Kim Gardner is now facing a contempt of court charge after no one from her office showed up for a murder trial Monday. Judge Scott Milliken filed the contempt order after 18-year-old Jonathan Jones was set to begin trial for a fatal shooting near the arch grounds two years ago. Reportedly, the prosecutor assigned to the the case is on sick leave, but no one told the court that. Gardner's office has until next Monday to file an argument for why the circuit attorney should not be held in contempt. Sean Michael Lyle, KMOX News. Big things happening at the St. Louis Board of Aldermen later this morning. The newly elected Board of 14 Aldermen replaces the old Board of 28. It's believed about half or more are progressive Democrats. Outgoing progressive Alderwoman Annie Rice says that's a good thing. This board is going to look very different. You know, this, this board already looks very different today than it did when I took office five years ago. But I'm, I think we have a really good group of folks and mm-hmm. I think they're going to do good things. Some of the surviving moderate Democrats on the board are concerned about the progressive agenda and say they may have to act as a check and balance. The Missouri House passed a bill Monday night to restrict student athletes to the gender of their birth. Democrat Carrie Ingle considers it anti-transgender discrimination. I want you guys to think about the effect that it has on the psyche When you tell someone that they don't belong as a lawmaker. Supporters say it's a matter of fairness and safety to protect girls from bigger, stronger and faster athletes. The measure next heads to the Senate. While considering a mundane bill about rural community sales taxes Monday night, St. Louis County Representative Kevin Windham slipped in an amendment to end state sales taxes on groceries and feminine hygiene products. He said it can really help people affects most people that have a, um, a high financial need. So it affects the poorest folks more than it affects the richer folks. His amendment to an amendment passed overwhelmingly, as did the underlying bill. The package needs a final vote before advancing to the Senate. An endangered silver advisory issued for a missing man suffering from dementia. St. Louis County Police say 68-year-old Herbert Edwin Orr Jr. left a home at 9901 Dunadier Drive at 345 yesterday afternoon. He left his cell phone behind. Orr is described as a black male, 5 feet 9 inches tall, about 155 pounds, balding with brown eyes. He was possibly wearing a black jacket, blue jeans, and gray shoes. If you see Herbert Orr, call 911 right away. KMOX goes in-depth. A new trial finds an mRNA vaccine for melanoma is pretty effective. 
KMOX Health Editor Fred Bonimer talked about the study with Dr. Ryan Fields, the Chief of Surgical Oncology at Siteman Cancer Center and Director of the Melanoma Program at Siteman and Washington University School of Medicine. Yeah, so the, our big cancer research meeting, uh, which has just happened and had a breakthrough story about a new cancer vaccine and really the first of its kind to show that a vaccine strategy in a very personalized way is effective in, in cancer and in this particular case in melanoma. How common is melanoma? Melanoma is a a pretty common uh, skin cancer. It's not the most common form of skin cancer like a basal cell or a squamous cell cancer, but it is the deadliest form. And and when it happens, if it's caught early, it's curable. But when it when it spreads, it can be very difficult to treat, although there have been a lot of advances over the past uh, decade. So what is this new vaccine and what does it do? Well, we we think of vaccines like for the flu as a preventative vaccine, meaning you get the vaccine so you don't get the flu. A different category of vaccines, and we think about this in cancer, would be a cancer vaccine where you have cancer and you get a vaccine that's a, a personalized vaccine, meaning my vaccine would be different than your vaccine if we both had melanoma. And that vaccine would educate and allow our own body's immune system to fight off that cancer. So what have the results been like so far on this vaccine? Well, so this is a first in its kind, and it's really been a breakthrough because if we go back in the past, this, this type of strategy has not worked in cancer in a, in a real rigorous way. This, and the reason this study is so exciting, this is the first vaccine study to show that if we give this vaccine to patients with melanoma in combination with an immunotherapy drug, kind of like a booster drug, that it will cut the rate of melanoma coming back in half. And that's a huge number uh, and really exciting in the cancer world. Why do you think this one is working when other times it hasn't? Well, a lot of it uh, is related to the technology. And this is this mRNA technology, the same that's been used in the COVID vaccines. And the reason it's been so exciting is if we take your individual cancer and we create your vaccine using mRNA technology, it can be done not only efficiently, uh, quickly, and cost-effectively, but in a way that seems to work a lot better than previous vaccine strategies. So it's an amazing technological breakthrough, uh, as well as a, a sign of how effective this strategy can be. How far are we along the timeline until this vaccine becomes ready for everyday use in people who need it? Sure. Well, this was a, this was a big study. It was a, what we call a phase two study, which means it had been already shown to be safe in a phase one study. Now has been shown to be effective in a phase two study. Uh, and if the data is strong enough, uh, it's really up to the FDA to determine if this is going to be approved or if another study is going to be needed. But I would say if we're sort of thinking on the horizon, this is probably something that's going to be available in the next one to two years as a, as a routine. And it may start in melanoma. But of course, the big hope is we can expand this into many solid tumor types. Dr. Ryan Fields is the chief of surgical oncology at Siteman Cancer Center at 739. Now, KMOX Virtual Consumer Editor, Megan Lynch. When your student logs on to their Chromebook at school, they're not alone. It's highly likely that someone or something is monitoring their activity. How much is being watched depends on the school district. Now, part two of our series, S is for surveillance. Instruction used to take place on a chalkboard. Then came iPads and Chromebooks. In many districts, textbooks are being phased out, and these devices are now necessities. We 
typically have a discussion with them at the handout that, hey, you know, these are these are the basic rules and don't forget, we can see what you're doing. Pretty much every student in the Rockwood School District gets a school-assigned device, either a tablet or Chromebook. Rockwood Chief Information Officer Deborah Kentering. We're giving them the opportunity to act in accordance with our policies and procedures until they don't. Whether it's a district-owned or a personal device, there's no expectation of privacy if you're using the district network. When a user is on our network, Yes, we have the right to restrict access to protect our environment. It's really to protect our environment. Kettering cites the Children's Internet Protection Act, telling KMOX the district is responsible for monitoring and preventing student access to obscene or harmful online content. Rockwood uses a content blocker. It's based on a long list of categories. You can find a link to What's Off Limits at KMOX.com. The filters vary by grade level, but some of the taboo categories include adult content, anything related to alcohol, drugs, botnets, chat rooms, dating sites, gambling, and terrorism. At Rockwood, the content blocker is where continual monitoring stops. We will investigate if someone brings a concern to us, but we're not actively monitoring for those keywords. Keywords. What Kettering is referring to is technology that scans all student online activity, chats, emails, word programs, web searches. It then flags keywords that in turn triggers alerts to school officials, sometimes even law enforcement. There's also been a lot of discussion in legal circles and other circles about the ethics and and legality of some of the monitoring. We haven't gone there. Plenty of other school districts in our region have. That's reading everything that's on a student's screen. Computer monitors behind him on his desk. Parkway School District Chief Information Officer Jason Rooks describes what he calls wellness monitoring. It's constantly reading that text that's on the screen and trying to assess Um, Is this student accessing something that they shouldn't? Is this student researching topics related to self-harm or harming others or bullying? Parkway uses a platform called LineWise, a product that sells itself as protecting every child's digital journey. He admits it's not always perfect, but Rooks tells KMOX the technology has gotten better compared to the first systems Parkway used. It used to be literally a list of words. That led to a lot of false alarms. It was a student researching something associated with the Civil War, and it would generate an alert because there were guns, obviously guns and death and violence involved in the Civil War. Rooks tells us artificial intelligence has helped with context. What was the student doing immediately before they this word triggered? And what was the student doing immediately after? And is that word associated with a known reputable educational site or resource versus a student that is searching Google for how to obtain a gun or how to use a gun. That will actually trigger a higher level alert and garner more attention 
than a student doing research related to an assignment. For the most serious alerts, a human being has the final call. If there's imminent danger, school officials start a call chain to ensure a student is safe. I view that as the approach Parkway has taken is not, we're out to get anybody. We want to ensure that there, our students are leading safe and healthy lives, considering a great portion of their lives are, are now, is now being spent on online resources and in the internet. That's, that's where we've had to kind of move our focus to because that's where our students are at. Critics say the technology has backfired. While the stated purpose is to keep students safe, our research shows that it's actually far more common to be used for disciplinary purposes. They say bookmarking students' online transgressions teaches the wrong lesson. I'll explore that tomorrow when our series, S is for Surveillance, continues. St. Louis All Local is produced by the KMOX News Team. Subscribe to the All Local on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.